0: What is up, Podheads? Tony here, back with the Podio Slate Podcast, joined by Anthony and a special guest, Sean from Troll. How you doing, Sean? What's happening, boys? Ooh, I like <laughs> hey, that.
1: We're,
2: uh, we're classing the join up. We got Sean here, and I'm drinking some wine. I get oh, wow. some red velvet wine, which wow. I've never get done. It. On a raw recording my-
0: <laughs> I've done it before uh famously Damien did it the what the first time we had him on way back yeah. on seventy seven i think so yeah I,
1: I I currently am rocking a severed lime liquid death and a throat coat tea for
0: uh yeah. Just so that you sound good on the pod, I love it, Sean. Love it, does it
1: sound velvety, baby.
2: You just won one up to my uh, my red velvet, <laughs> my cupcake,
1: red velvet cupcake. Ooh, you know what though? I do like a good red velvet. So
0: we're not sponsored by any of these things. So <laughs> <laughs> not yet. We would love we would love to be sponsored by any or all of these things. I'm drinking Abyssal, a my local Maine Boys Brewery. So yeah, let's let's get after it, boys. Let's have some fun tonight. <laughs> Okay, so you just heard the intro, and for, I want to say, probably like 130 or so episodes, we've had the same intro that was created by uh, a good friends of ours, Nomar Slevick and Donnie Golden. Well, we sent the intro that they made to Sean and the boys in Troll, and said, can you guys instrumentize this and make it fucking badass? And they we did.
1: Full band, baby.
0: Tell us how that happened, man.
1: Uh, it was honestly sheer luck. And uh no, uh, <laughs> we, uh yeah, you guys sent us that and said, hey, can you guys mess with this a bit? So I uh, sat down with Seth, Justin, and Adam, and we started just goofing around. At one point, I think we had like a five or six minute long version that covered like four or five different genres. And we tried our best to just kind of do it right. And we had one that went from, like a standard version to a really thrash driven version, and you know, we just decided, let's just do three or four small, just thirty second slaps, so these guys can use it. And I mean, we honestly sat down, played with it a bunch, and then said, screw it, let's friggin' record this now. And we banged it out in a night, you know, had fun with it, and then sent it to you guys, and you guys were like, well, shit. Okay.
2: <laughs> well, the one that you heard is we're calling it the funk version, right? There's three versions. I don't know if we made that yeah. clear. There's, there's three variations. Uh, like I We're I calling them stand one is a standard one. The second's the funk one, which you heard. And the third one is more of like a metal thrash iteration. I don't know if we're going to rotate them or what, but maybe depending on the guest. But the yeah. one you just heard is is the funk one. We're going to run with that one tonight. We,
1: we were calling that one the uh, disco funk because it oh, just go. had a, you know, actually Adam was saying, I got to put a little more disco drums in that. We're like, okay. And then you can hear it kind of being a little more, you know, dancey.
0: <laughs> it's certainly dancey. I I, uh, I was stoked when I heard him. I was like, this is, this is exactly what I was hoping they would be able to do with it. And uh, really cool to have you guys take, Something that had, you know, we, we had made for the podcast forever ago and spruce it up and add some fun to it and put some music behind a you know, real instrumentation behind it. Not just a Happy Meals toy, which uh, is, is the original, <laughs> the original guitar riff yeah. is from a, an American yeah. Idol's uh, American Idol, Happy Meals, like keychain guitar thing. So yeah. that's on our YouTube page. Go it's listen to that if you want. It's yeah, it's badass that they turn it into that. So now we have a hip hop version. We have a disco funk version. we have a thrash version, and we have the standard version with instruments. pretty cool stuff pretty proliferation of uh, nerdery right there
1: well we, and we really wanted to make sure these were done right and uh like I know you tone you and I were texting back and forth and and I had uh sent you the link to be like, "Hey, check them out, give us notes your like first comment was, "I have no fucking notes. those are great uh-huh. and then <laughs> yep. we as musicians are stupid and you can never not continue to play with music when you record it. I mean, that's one thing that sucks is you'll always find something wrong with what you've done recording wise and you keep fucking with it and keep, and it's like, at some point you have to have to stop because if you don't, it's just going to go the other way. Like you've got it as close to perfect as you want it. And now all of a sudden it's going straight to shit and you're just going to scrap it all. So we, Went back in, tinkered with some stuff, had some more fun with it, you know, mixing and mastering wise, and sent them back to you guys and you guys seem happy, so we're happy.
2: Would you say you played a producer role? Yes. Yeah. You go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Production credit. Producer credits on that. Yes.
1: I, I was I was heavily in the background, just okay, good, but you can do better. I like what you're doing, but do something different, you know?
0: At some point you can add some lyrics and make it a full three and a half minute song. We'll throw it up on Spotify and everything.
1: We had a version that was this, you know, it started out kind of with the standard and then went into the thrash and then moved to the disco funk and then back to the thrash. And like, we had a couple other things we were playing with and I didn't have beer, like vocal parts for it, but I definitely had ideas to just be like during the thrash part, just be like, like just freak out and scream (laughs) throughout it. But, I didn't think you guys would want that in your intro because it would sound totally ridiculous.
0: It it might be kind of fun, though. (laughs) Maybe down the line. We'll we'll, we'll revisit. Put a pin (laughs) on that. We'll come back
1: to
2: it. Hey, I'm going to put something in in your head here. Whatever version that is, instead of the bass, you have to go bing, 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 bing,
1: bing, (laughs) bing, bing. Okay, I can definitely do that. Yeah. All right, good. perfect. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I'll
0: even do like the. <laughs> yes. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. Man, I, I just love all this stuff because we started this thing three and a half years ago and we didn't, never saw this and never saw even having an original song to begin with for the podcast. Like we started it, we never had music. We just started talking, cracked open the mics and talked about music. But they were like, we should add some music to this, and then, to, for it to turn into what it is today, I, I'm, I, I'm just so happy.
2: Well, I remember that the first one was like we went from just talking to start and probably freaking mumbling, and then we get that the intro, and you're like, my buddies, I think can put something together, and we got that, and then we just keep keep uh, you know leveling up here.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we we had fun with it, and I'm glad you guys are happy with it, and I genuinely hope. That it goes for a long time for y'all with that. Cause like I said, we had fun with it. We definitely were playing like with the idea of maybe making a song out of it and like basically making it the patio slave song or something like that and writing some crazy like sound garden meets rage lyrics. But you know, in time, we'll figure that out.
0: Yeah. We can, we can do that down the line. Maybe even have Anthony and I back in to to sing back up. Right. Do some
1: gang vocals. Yeah. yeah.
0: Hell yeah. We could do that. We, we love doing it when we did it for, for Kaiju King for you guys a, a year and a half ago now, which is crazy.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll do we'll do gang vocals in real time and then have a big breakdown. <laughs> dun, 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 dun.
0: Yes, that'd be fucking great.
1: I <laughs> drink, drink,
0: drink, yeah, drink. Sorry, I forgot to say a drink behind the scenes. We we had the I put it I think I put it up on Instagram. We had Frank Zuma on. And yeah, he you, said in you, real I, time, and I just literally looking at the camera. He's
1: gonna drink.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I smirked. Yeah. I don't remember smirking like yeah, yeah. until you sent you did the video, and I was like, "Oh shit!" I was I I caught it. I caught oh, it. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. It was a good time. It's always a good time when you hear uh, some of your sayings and and stuff like that happen in in real time in an interview, and you're like, "Yeah, we got to pay homage." He's probably like, what the fuck is going on. He
1: was looking at you guys like, "What the fuck was that?"
0: Yeah. I was muted, fortunately. <laughs> all right. So we have you here, Sean, tonight. Yeah. To talk an album that the three of us absolutely love. And usually we get like 10 minutes into talking about it before we say the name of the album. I'm just gonna say it now. Finch is what it is to burn. And a record that I think we all collectively have pretty high in our, you know, top albums for you know our personal lists. And one that we've spent a ton of time with—it's now 21 and some change years old—and it felt like a good time to dig into this one. Totally
2: yep. love this record. We we've been like like we said with the Glassjaw episode—we saved the deep dives and the retrospective full episodes on albums for special albums. And for me, this it, it cracks that list, and I'm shocked we waited almost 200 episodes to do it. Much like the Glassjaw Worship and Tribute one. If you like what you hear with this one, go back a few episodes ago. We do the same with Worship and Tribute. I fucking, I still love this record. I've loved it from the jump. Loved it now. I listen to it and know all the words. I know the sequence. I. It, it brings me back to that era.
1: Yeah, this is a, uh, I, I texted Tony about this. This is literally my number one favorite album of all time. Unreal. And then that, that beats out bands like Chamber, which I am a crazy fan of. Life of Agony, which I have a tattoo of their first CD on my, my body. And as funny enough, Glassjaw is my number five favorite album of all time. Worship and Tribute is number five on my top five. So oh, yeah. the fact that you guys were able to do that, I I loved listening to that episode. Uh it was good to hear two woke Ken dolls talk with another person about <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, about an album that I I've held so dear to my heart that, I mean, I still have my CD of worship and tribute. It's destroyed that you cannot play it. The case, the jewel case is destroyed. It's held together by hopes and dreams and a ton of (laughs) fond memories. I am probably honestly on disc number five of what it is to burn. Like I destroyed that album in my cars I was talking with my wife. We were driving up to a wedding yesterday and I had mentioned that I was doing an interview about like a deep dive about an album and she didn't really know what I was talking about. And then I said, well, it's this. And she goes, oh, that makes sense. And I was like, well, what do you mean? She goes, anytime we're on a road trip, if it's more than 45 minutes, you have three albums you put on. And this is usually number one. And I went, yep. <laughs> yep.
2: You, yeah. you get me, you yep. know me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so this is, this is deep, passion for this album i i i am shocked that you guys waited this long to get into it too because i know tony and i we were working together when this album came out we
0: were you're right
1: and i'm pretty sure we both had it playing in our cars or well in your car and at the friggin shoe store Mm -hmm. you know constantly
0: yeah you're absolutely right and let's so yeah let's start there early early memories of it before it came out like what we were expecting, you know, that kind of lead up to the record uh, dropping in March of 2002. It was March, 2002. I remember, I think Anthony, you got me into this band via a burned, I don't know if it was a burned copy of the EP that came out before. What was the name of that? Falling into place? Falling
2: falling into place. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And hearing letters to you. I remember hearing letters to you and being like, Okay, I'm in. I'm in on this band. I don't know what else is coming from them, but I can't wait for it. I, I'm ready to just spin the hell out of whatever comes next. And I mean, it was it was a time when I probably was starting to lean more into a little heavier stuff. And this was, you know, Thrice and Finch and the Used, and in that world, stuff was kind of hitting me a little more than it it uh, it had when I was a little little younger. And I have you to thank for that, Anthony, because I, I don't know that I would have listened to a ton of this stuff without maybe you or Nate a little bit before, too. But mo- mostly, this world was definitely uh, just riding around in your car when we were 16, 17 years old.
2: Doesn't surprise me. That story checks out. For me, I'm going to be that guy. I was hot to trot with Finch early. So Warped Tour 01. I got a CD sampler. I have it right here. It's called the After Stool Special. Wow. <laughs> the After Stool Special. So this was August 01. It had Nonpoint, and it had H2O, and it had Newfound Glory. But it had this band Finch. And here's the crazy thing. The song was Awake, which ended yeah. up on the full length. And here's the weird thing. Oh. This was before Falling Into Place even dropped. So this oh, Awake was recorded before Falling Into Place came out. And there's, you know, a little blurb here from the forthcoming album available summer 01. So I wonder what that was. Maybe Awake was supposed to be on the EP. And that's what this is referring to, forthcoming album. Uh, but if they're talking about what it is to burn, it didn't come out for another year.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, if that's August of 01, you're like, what, nine months later? But yeah. but the EP came out, what, late 01, right?
2: October 01.
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah. maybe they maybe it was a misprint, or was, or that was supposed to find its way onto falling into place.
2: Here's the irony. I think it's the worst song. We'll get there, but I think it's the worst song on the album, which is saying a lot, but I... Alright, we'll, we'll park that, then. We'll get park into that. Park that. Yeah, because
1: yeah, <laughs> I know the album, like, they were recording from, like, May to August, or June to September, or something like that for what it is to burn of 2001 and for me like i had at this time i was in a punk band with a co-worker of tony's and mine we were in a punk band called brick to face and we listened to all kinds of fucking like post-hardcore and emo like the big things for us were like thursday the used from autumn to ashes poison the well blast jaw I mean, just that whole era. And he came up to me one day and was like, "Hey, I got this new album." Because I didn't hear it until 2002 when it released. And we were sitting there, and all of a sudden, he hands me this disc. It was a burned copy of What It Is to Burn. And I went, "What the fuck is this?" And I listened to the whole album straight through, even the friggin' like 15 minute long ender. You know, like oh, yeah. I was like, yeah. "What's going on? Like, what is what is this fucking chaos?" That's that's you know. Bombarding my senses, and I, I want to listen to it again. And I just remember like hearing because he even skipped, he did the bullshit thing and went to like one of the first singles, which I think was the was Letters to You.
2: It was one of the singles, Letters to yeah, You. Yeah, I'm
1: pretty sure that was like the first one. So he jumped to like the singles and was like, hit me with those. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, these are really cool. And then he gave me the disc. I went home. I had a CD player with anti skip, and I had to skateboard back home. So I put it in my backpack, I started skating, and that's all I listened to for my whole like travel home. And I was like, what the fuck? This is so good. I was like, I can't wait to dive into this band more. And it just turned into a, almost an obsession for like most of my life. Like I love Finch. They're one of my favorite bands. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Our sentiments are very similar. I, I remember it dropping. So it would have been March of junior year, right? We were juniors in high school. Sean, we knew each other because of the the shoe store and the and the pasta place that was adjacent to it.
1: Yep. and
0: yep. Uh, the CYY, our local radio station, was playing. They were playing "Stay with Me." Maybe did they play "Stay with Me" later in the year? I think they played Ooh, "What I... It
1: Is to Burn." What I is think that was sure. It is to burn. Yeah, because "What It Is to Burn" I'm pretty sure charted like pretty friggin' high on the the like the Billboard charts, mm-hmm. and that was like I remember CYY was like, oh, it's this song from Finch, and then. I just remember the friggin', you know, the radio edit was different than what was on the album at the time. Big time. Yeah. So it was, it was like, wait, that's not the whole song. You're missing just a huge portion of that song. You're really fucking this up guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. That was a, uh, that, that was the first single and it was out in January of Oh two. And then the record dropped two months later. I had a, a, a CD player with anti skip too. I don't know why it wasn't a disc man. I wasn't cool enough to have a disc man, but I remember being in class and I was a good student. So like I I could get away with shit like this and just having my headphones in for like three weeks straight with this record.
2: With just this walking. record, yeah.
0: Yeah. I would just sit in history class. And I mean, the, the history that I was joking with my wife about this the other day, history, the, the answers don't change. <laughs> it's history. So uh, I would be like, yeah, I don't need to pay too much attention here. This is all the same. And I would just be listening to what it is to burn on repeat. like couldn't take it out of my cd player it finally came out in march in may when eminem dropped the eminem show and i did the same thing with that for about three weeks at school but this one was always around that time and it was in the car i would come out of my cd player in my backpack go into the car into my cd player in my car which if you remember sean adam you took over for at the shoe store? This is yeah. this is super inside for Sean and I. Uh, he put my CD player in for me for twenty bucks. So shout That's out right. to Adam, wherever he is.
1: <laughs> He's in the Great world. Investment. Probably, Great investment. Great yeah. investment. Best investment. Twenty bucks, and you oh. get to play Finch at full tilt, man.
0: Full tilt in that nineteen ninety four Nissan Sentra five speed that I I still <laughs> miss the Blue Hornet baby.
2: <laughs> so the I was thinking about that time period, and it was an interesting time period because pop punk was definitely massive from like 2000 to 2003 you had nfg you had blink you had good charlotte that was taken off and then a little bit of heaviness started to creep in into really the warp tour world i mean that's really what it was and in the in the case of finch they were on drive-through which i was a drive-through kid any band that they signed i was checking out But none of the bands sounded like Finch. You know, you had NFG, you had Phoenix TX, you had the starting line, you had the movie life with a little bit of an edge, early November in that time frame. So when Finch comes and census fail, that was, I think, I didn't read up on this, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that was Drive-Thru's answer to what was going on. Because that's I looked at their roster, that was kind of it for the heavy stuff was finch and census fail
1: yeah i mean that time frame that early early 2000s you know pop punk was king end it's of story king. full yeah. stop you could not go mtv played pop punk stuff nonstop. on you turn it on and there's good charlotte here comes blink 182 here comes you know all these bands that are they're pop punk you know you know the sound homegrown is a band that I still listen oh, yeah. to, and, oh, yeah. you know, drive through, they, represent. They were so goofy. And I think that's what really got it. The early two thousands, that goofiness w- was just rampant and it was King, but then bands like, you know, senses fail, glass jaw, Finch Thursday coming out in that area. Like there was this edge that was coming and that post hardcore movement was just boiling up because punk is great pop punk is even better because it can be commercially sold but we need something that has a little more bite to it you know and you can't go full new metal because that's already kind of coming down like the the trajectory of that was already kind of sloping hard you know south so they wanted something that was still kind of marketable but and and this is all my opinion i don't fucking know for the you know truth but i feel like this was marketable but it had that little extra like little dash of sriracha on top that this is the bite. This is what's going to hook people is these guys can sing, but check out this heavy shit. And it's going to get the kids involved and the kids that want to, you know, dance their brains out and crowd surf. They're the ones who are going to buy the shirts, the hats, the basketball jerseys, the, the, you know, the backpacks, like all the merch, like let's put this stuff out. And I think, you know, the early two thousands, that post hardcore scene just started to bubble up and it, it was a torrent, man. It was like the music from that era, of the post-hardcore genre, I still listen to 99% of it today. It's just so good. It's so well-produced, so well-written. And honestly, I don't think that that, unfortunately, I don't think that genre is going to come back like that again for a while because it it just was so strong. And I think a lot of people, typical record labels, I feel like they all jumped on it poured as much as they could and typical you know like new metal fashion they put too much into it and the pyramid collapsed and you know bands like finch they were in my opinion probably one of the front runners of that even though you still look them up on spotify they're in the emo category Mm -hmm. which is fucking weird like (laughs) uh, emo has more whining in -hmm. the vocals more nasally stuff where nate's fucking vocals were. I mean, his voice is so good. I don't know. And I think that's what happened is they got caught up in the Royal. Their second album, we'll get to later on, but I I mean, I still ride for the second album because I think it's just as good as this one, but Mm -hmm. it did not get the love because it came into that, like, collapse of post-hardcore.
0: Well, and we we mentioned this in the Glastro episode, a handful of episodes back, where, you're right, new Metal had kind of started to nosedive, and this genre of music had this really quick up and really quick back down, and part of it was because the money in the industry went away, and part of it was because you had the 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 bands show up, you know, the Strokes and the Hives and stuff like that that kind of took over that was a little more palatable for the masses, where this, like, 2000 to 2004 range of records is so fucking good, had it had another four or five, six years, we would have gotten double the output maybe, but we would have gotten a lot of not as good stuff because of it too. So like anything, it had its moment. I just wish this moment had been a little longer. I think we all probably agree with that.
2: Totally. And I, the thing is, is like this album, this was when MCA was involved with Drive Through, So this was a band that got upstream through their channel. And like we spoke with, uh, with Brian McTernan and Vinnie Caruana on the uh, deep dive of the movie life, Record a few weeks ago, I don't think these bands going up to a major was good, really, for anyone. Because I don't think, from the label's perspective, I don't think the sales were there. From the band's perspective, they're still trying to figure out their sound. Then you throw in a manager, you throw in label pressure, you throw in uh, first week projections, and then the fans, the poor fans. We get lost in it. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything about "Say Hello to Sunshine." I'm going to take that right out of it. But a lot of the bands of this ilk that went this direction, that second release or the first release on a major, a lot of them lost the essence of why they got popular in the first place. I'm not going to say names. Uh, There's still some good stuff on some of these albums, but. Oh, yeah. They just lost the flair that got them there. And it it was tough to watch. And. I think a lot of these bands are coming back. This is, I'm not talking about Finch in, this, in the, the, this statement. I do enjoy Say Hello to Sunshine. Yeah. But it was an interesting time, and there should be, I'm sure there is documentaries on, on that whole kind of rise and
1: fall. Oh, yeah. My, my thought with this is seeing that early 2000s like, ramp up of the post-hardcore scene, I want to say like I never had the, the, the uh, EP I wish I did because that, you know, I've heard falling into place was stunning, like was definitely something that caught somebody's ear. But my thought is, too, like some of these bands, they formed not too long before. I was just going to say that, Sean. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. This ramp up like I'm pretty if I remember correctly, I think Finch was like 98 or 99 when they got together. And what, three years later, they're on a fairly major label blowing up the scene with this fucking album. And and I feel like they didn't necessarily get the time to really fashion their teeth. You know, it, it kind of was like, you guys are the new thing. Here's money. Here's fame, fortune, and you know, tours. And these guys were like, Oh shit. Like, okay, hold on. Like they kind of stuttered for a second. Like what the fuck? And they threw this album together. And I mean, the producer, uh, his name's Mark Tremblo. Mark, Mark, yes, he he produced this album so fucking beautifully. Like, honestly, if I could say thank you to him, I totally would because this album is, like I said, it's 21 years old. I, it's literally my favorite album of all time, and I just feel like these guys didn't necessarily get the the footing that they needed to get that time to build to. Okay, we can tour. You know, we can be comfortable because, I mean, I'm pretty sure they were fucking baby faced and they were like, here's a record label. We need, you know, what, 15 songs immediately. So let's go burn and turn. Let's get these out. And they were like, well, here's our EP. Um, shit. Uh-
0: <laughs> yeah, we just got together and here's our EP. And sure, we'll we'll burn through and give you another nine or 10 songs. And a couple of them on the EP are going to make it to the record and we're pretty new at this so uh kid gloves please and then it blows up and they're like do it again do it again do it again because we we just chew up and spit you out right hit it and quit it like let, let's let's get as much out of you as we can we don't care about you as a band keep making what you're making that's awesome and right that pressure for a band that young that new together that's why so many of them had trouble
2: no it, it absolutely i'm glad you brought that up because that is a common theme i think with a lot of bands from this era with this sound and like they i think they called it quits in like oh six i know they've been off and on but i think the first time they called it quits was oh six but another thing that we didn't mention is about their rise they were on like conan o'brien like they they were at the top you know what i mean like the what it is to burn was everywhere absolutely everywhere.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. I need to shout out that Conan, Late Night with Conan O'Brien had so many fucking amazing mu- musical guests, and um, friend of the pod, f- uh, former guest Holiday Kirk of uh, Crazy Ass Moments in New Metal Fame posts stuff all the time from the new metal genre of bands playing Conan, and it blows my mind. This is a tangent, I know, but blows my mind how much cool shit went through the Conan Conan. Uh, sphere and i would love to talk to conan about that someday
1: honestly i think one of my favorite videos to watch when i'm just feeling you know goofy is to watch the slipknot performance on conan because he was just like their new album iowa and i'm like oh jesus (laughs) here we go and then you just watch (laughs) these fucking maniacs go crazy and it's like that's so fucking awesome and conan just kind of i'm sure he just sat down at his desk he's going oh what the fuck did i get myself into but I mean that, yeah. He put on some really cool shit that was like, all right, man, you've got my respect for all the crazy shit you've put on here, you know, music wise.
0: It's great for it was great for late night. It was great for, uh, you know, that time frame of music was awesome. So again, total tangent, but I, uh, you're right. Finch was was part of that, and it, it was amazing to have that be everywhere for them. I'm sure in the moment, but at the same time, it gets really difficult because you're you're asked to do it over and over and over again.
2: And I think we we bring that up to say that we wish we got more out of them. I mean, I do. I wish. I mean, there's three there's three full lengths in an EP.
1: Yes, yes. All
2: have great stuff on them. The EP it is interesting. The EP, falling into place. It has perfection through silence. It's got letters to you. Then it's got waiting and the new kid. And both waiting and uh, new kid are on the softer side, if I remember. New kid for sure. Hmm. I remember. Absolutely. Yep. Some people gave like deaf tones comparisons in that era. Uh, I think once the once what it is to burn came out, I think they kind of lost that kind of deaf tones comparison and it was more in the glass shot ilk. I think drive through was surprisingly a good label for them because it brought in the pop punk kid that they had an even a little appetite for some edge. This was digestible, but I think the being on drive through did help them because it opened more doors uh like i saw them in this era open for new found glory something corporate and further seems forever i mean three of those four bands are on were on drive through.
1: i think that's a good tour for them too because like you said they with drive through they had that uh, that ability to be a little bit more digestible for people who were not necessarily into the heavier stuff right they you know drive through all day with- long Yep. newfound glory i mean let's let's they got some screams totally okay with it sounds great i love newfound glory but it's not finch finch had this totally different level of here's your poppy section you know like letters to you it just starts out very you know it's sellable it's it's marketable and then stay with me i mean come on that that song i know we'll get into this a little bit later about the tracks and whatnot but it was drive through was a great opportunity for them to get kind of out there and on these tours that were like it's not like you know all right we're a death metal band so we have to play with x y and z and then you go play with you know it's not like black dahlia being on the same tour as fucking queens of the stone age it, it doesn't work totally it, it would be fun and hell to see but oh, i'd go i'd be i'd be front row i mean <laughs> i'd be happy as hell man but you know, having bands that are like, all right, well, we're Finch, you know, here's stay with me. And they're like, oh, okay. And it kind of ramp up postscript and stuff like that. They can start kids are getting into it. You know, they're opening these shows and they're getting the the kids into the set. They're they're excited, they're energized. They go out, they buy the fucking merch and they come back into the next band. They're kind of already tired. And I think that was, you know, really good for them because they got fans from these tours that were not typical, like it's the same four bands, you know? I love seeing those tours that are like, this makes sense, these guys going together. All right. I like seeing the bands that are like, okay, it's Finch, Newfound Glory. There, you know, there's stuff that touches there, you know, connectivity-wise. Like, Come on, that's a fucking killer friggin' tour for both bands, because I'm sure Newfound Glory is standing out back going, look at these fucking kids. These Mm -hmm. fucking kids are tearing it up. Well now we gotta step up our game. Like that's how I always do my performances. I go, I'll watch the other bands. Even if I'm opening, I'll do my damnedest to make sure the other bands go Fuck. Um Mm -hmm. hey guys, these nobodies are yeah, they just showed us up. So we gotta more spin kicks. Let's go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it's a it's a good point about them playing being able to play different bills because we've heard a ton of musicians on this podcast tell us personally that we can go with this tour and play the softer set, or we can go on this tour and play the heavier set and we fit in all these worlds. And I I don't know that it was necessarily top of mind for bands back then, but Finch would have been a band that it absolutely worked out for. Like you could play the softer set with maybe the new kid and letters to you and stay with me. And, and then you can get into it heavy with, uh, you know, gray matter and, and uh, project mayhem with the, the Daryl stuff and, and just kind of go fucking balls out and be the heavy, heavier band on the, on the, the bill that night. So not a lot of bands are probably thinking a ton about that. Maybe save for, I mean, we've talked to a bunch of hardcore bands too, that, that can kind of live in that world, but in in the post hardcore scene and the pop punk and the, you know, mainstream rock scene bands weren't thinking that it was like, go out with like bands, get new fans and right. this was like let's go out with bands that will pull more people in this way because we're we're supposed to tour with New newfound glory or they, they were going to tour with the starting line and, and the, the uh, movie life but didn't because of september 11th but stuff like right.
1: that I, I get a funny story about finch so the first time i was ever gonna see them i i'd never seen them live and the first time it was probably Mm, 2005, 2006, like towards the end of the first, you know, run they had, they were playing. I'm pretty sure they were the headliner at the station in Portland.
2: Yeah. So they they did come they did come there. Yep.
1: Yep. So I was there and I I was there with my sister, a friend of hers, and my wife, and we were all hanging out. And there were some douchebags crowd killing little girls in the pit, and. Honestly, I'm not one that likes that bullshit. You should never hurt people when you're at a show unless they are hurting somebody else and then you just let the crowd take care of it. But anyway, getting back to it. So we're there. We're watching the bands and I watch this asshole just start wailing on these little like 80 pound fucking girls. So I'm about to go deal with them. Then all of a sudden I look and there's my wife on the fucking guy. (laughs) <laughs> so i went well this is fucking happening so i come from fucking west texas with a right hook and i got about four inches from the guy's face and all of a sudden my fist stopped dead and i was like what the fuck and i turned and look, and there was five security guards on me immediately because they just saw me come from the other side of the station and you guys have been to the station you know how so i was The stage, I was going towards the stage, so it was a bit the longer part. I came from, like, the back bar, full fucking (laughs) tilt, ready to kill this motherfucker, and I had five or six security guards drag me out of there, fucking, like, they lifted me up and carried me up the fucking stairs and, like, threw me off, so I'm out there mouthing off to you know, the fucking security guards, and sure as shit, here comes Nate, singer of Finch, and he's just looking at me like, what the fuck? And I'm like, hey, man big fan <laughs> and he goes in and that was it. I didn't get to see him because I got kicked oh, out. No. I sat dude. in my car cause I had to wait for my sister and her friend. My wife came out and I sat there and all I heard was woo, 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 like the sound coming through the walls. And I was like, man, this is like the one time I'm ever going to see this band. Aren't I? They're going to break up and sure. shit, It was like a month or two later. They were like, yeah, we're done. I was like, Oh
0: damn dude. me and you're just trying to help them out. i get it and, and yeah. we're not going to get into the is crowd killing good or bad debate that happens all the time on the internet <laughs> we're saving that for another day save we're... that
1: for the internet to yeah. figure oh, out exactly yeah. <laughs> but i did get to see them actually you know it, years later it was after it was geez after the 30 album i got to see them at the state theater with yellow card mm-hmm. and i'm not even joking there was like maybe a hundred people there It was such a small, like the state theater is good size. And I've never been to a show where you walk in and there's nobody sitting down the three layers of, you know, tiers, There's nobody in the third tier. It's the first and second tier. And that's it. And I was like, well, fuck it. I get to see an intimate performance with Finch and Goldfinger and, and Finch put on one of the most fucking electric performances I've ever seen in my life. Damn.
0: So, yeah, I have the dates for both of those shows right now, actually. Uh, the, makes- the station one was November 15th, 05, according to setlist.fm. And then the state theater one was April 20th of 2015, which I didn't even know happened. I would have gone to that show. Wow, 2015. Yeah, I would have gone to that show.
1: Yeah, so 2015, yeah, that, that makes sense because I know that the no- November show of 05 was just a few months after my wife had given birth to our first child. And what I saw was death because this guy was touching the mother of my child, and I was like, I'm going to murder a motherfucker tonight.
0: <laughs> Jesus. I'm glad you didn't, Sean, because we wouldn't be here talking today. And I'm glad I'm you got glad to see him,
1: too. <laughs> Security guards fucking muckle me down. But then seeing him in 2015, like, they still had it, man. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I don't know what to say. Let's talk observations, because
2: yeah. I'm sure all three of us Not only have we lived with it for 20 years, we probably listened to it a lot in prep for this episode. For me, it's one of those records that never left my rotation ever. If you listen to this podcast, I say that there's maybe 20 or 30 records that never left my rotation. This is definitely one of them. So let's give some observations. Tone, what stands out for you?
0: I love the intro to the first song, the intro to the album. All time. Uh, New beginnings that just like kind of slow build into the thwack on the drum and then you're like oh shit and then it just goes and i fucking i love that it's a great tone setter for what you're about to get just this kind of ethereal build in the background to bam here's new beginnings and you're just you're into it i i love the poppiness of letters to you and stay with me at first i didn't think i did and as time has passed i mean not even that long after i i started living with the record I was like, no, those are perfect. I, they're just, they should be there. They, they allow them to play in a different world. It's a record for me that I've, I've come back to a ton too. And I don't typically do that maybe as much as you, Anthony, where you've got one that kind of sticks in your rotation. Yeah. Or you too, Sean. But for me, I'm like a, a total feel when it comes to music. Like, what am I feeling right this second? And if they've been something that's been in my wheelhouse for the last, you know, two weeks or something's popped up, I'll, I'll put it on and this is one that i definitely it hits me more in my like i'm gonna put this one on than some other records that I we've, we've talked about over the years uh because of how much time i spent with it when it first came out and i think marshall gallagher of teenage risk said it to us when a record's still sticking around you know a month later two months later six months later that's when you get something like Stuff comes out, totally. you listen to it, and then it goes away because new stuff comes out and it fills the spot. And for us, we're constantly trying to find that thing that, like, scratches those itches. This was one that did for me a ton back then and still does today, 21 years later. So those are some of the observations for me.
2: Stay with me, fucking driving your car, windows down, summer night, screaming it as loud as you fucking can. I've probably done that a million times. Totally. A million.
1: Yeah, I, stay with me as definitely one of those bangers that you you like you said, you're on the road it's late, you got the headlights and that's it, you turn that song on, I will blow my vocal cords out singing that fucking song every single time Absolutely. it is so fucking good especially like you said, Late Night Man that is definitely a cruising song Project Mayhem is not a driving
0: song uh- <laughs> unless you want to get in a car accident, and bumper cars maybe, yeah
1: that or yeah, you just want to fucking, you know, myrtleate people with the front of your fucking vehicle. No, I I mean, Stay With Me is just a banger. I'll be honest, I think what it is to burn is the perfect album closer, period. It puts an exclamation point instead of a period. It finalized the album so fucking succinctly that it's, I always forget that that's the last track because New Beginnings comes on and that, friggin' ethereal like phasered fucking guitar intro. It's like, oh wait, they got another song. And then it's like, no, that's that's the beginning of the album. And I get lost all the time in what track I'm in just because I I zone out and I'm I'm just there in the moment. And uh I mean I what I really like about this album is the fact that it almost feels once you've gone through the lyrics and you look at the songs, it, it feels like it's a it's like a concept album, you know? Everything kind of ties into a different song. Like Gray Matter mentions she burns and you know, you know, Project Mayhem's She Burns. And there there's these friggin' bouncing from, you know, postscript can be found in Awake and Without You Here can be found in New Beginning. Like there's things in every song that bounce to a different song. And if you're paying attention, like you can see this is like a concept album. And what I was saying to you, Tony, some of our text messages, the fact that I feel like this album from one to 13, it's it's literally, if you can kind of almost get in a different headspace and you listen to the lyrics, you listen to the music, it feels like it's a relationship between a guy and a girl. The whole album is one relationship where, you know, she fucks up, he fucks up. They both get into drugs. they He gets out of drugs. She gets out of it's like this crazy ass long relationship through 13 songs that I didn't realize until like probably, I don't know, 2012, when I actually sat down in a different headspace mentally and emotionally, like this album is so fucking tightly wound from the first note to the very last friggin' second of the album.
2: What do you think of, what do you think of the dancey part in uh project mayhem? A little, little techno beat there in
1: the middle of it. That, that <laughs> That's absolutely. Awesome. 100% had to be Daryl Palumbo, man.
2: Had to have been, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> had to be. That, I love Daryl I love Glassjaw. I'm a huge fan of Head Automatica. That had to be him. You know, him coming into the, I mean, Grey Matter and Project Mayhem, I feel like are the two heaviest fucking songs on the album without a doubt. By like, far. Lyric, lyrically and musically, I think they just destroy. And it had to be him because he had to have this, hey guys, I got this fun little beat. Let's throw this in here because it turns into like this techno fucking disco all of a sudden. You're like, yeah, all right. You're kind of shaking your head in the car, bouncing back and forth. It's it's fucking great. I love it.
2: Yeah, it's a left turn that I I didn't see coming even listening back to it. I was like, I
0: kind of forgot about this part. Yeah, well, and the, those two songs, I'm not sure they necessarily fit on the record, but they do at the same time because especially if you look at it in the way Sean just explained it where it's, uh, this relationship, Totally, every relationship has these two songs happen, right? <laughs> like a point where I'm not sure if we're going to get through this. This is turbulent. And those two, those two songs absolutely live that and feel that way, especially in context, in the context of the album uh, itself. And how about having a song called Ender, which feels like a closing track and does the whole closing track kind of extended music piano thing at the end. And it's not the last song
1: because of, of
0: how good one it is to Baroness.
1: <laughs> it is fucking like 14 minutes long, but the actual song parts only like what, three and a half, maybe four at most. And they've got like this nine, 10 minute long piano, like basically it's what you would expect to have. And then like a secret song. That's not a track listed. Like that's what I anticipated for that. And it's like, Nope, that didn't end it. Now we're going to, you know, we're going to see what it is to burn right here. I was like, what the fuck, man? Like, some, I, I'll be honest, I don't always skip that friggin' long ass outro part to Ender because I don't know. It just kind of can put me in the right headspace. It kind of gets me physically and emotionally ready for, I know that, you know, friggin' Dan it, like when it kicks into what it is to burn, I know if I listen to Ender, I can be ready for it.
0: I'd argue that Ender is the end of the record. And then what it is to burn is just, Hey, all of that stuff that you just listened to, here's the cap for it. Like this is all of that in one.
2: That is a good way to look at it. And mm-hmm. what's interesting is I have the CD here. I, whenever we talk about these records, I always pull out the CD, just to see if I can, you know, glean anything from the liner notes or whatever, but it says bonus track for what it is to burn at the right. end. Right. So it's, it kind of fits that. And you mentioned, Sean, the radio version was much different. It absolutely was. The original version of What It Is to Burn, I think, was leaps and bounds better than the radio version. Nate's screaming, and we talked about this. We had the Last Track Magic episode. What It Is to Burn is Last Track Magic. It's a phenomenal yeah. song, great end cap. But the original version, I think, I don't even know where you can find it, because I, I know it's on YouTube. And if you have the original CD, I think the original pressing of the cd has the original version but what's on spotify is the radio and right. nate's scream when he comes in the original version is better i gotta say oh
1: 100 percent agree i'm an original version truther here i i will be on that boat with you my brother because <laughs> honestly the the radio edit like we said earlier totally fine to get that digestible you know this is heavy but not really heavy like you might not be into this kind of style of music, but now you can be because, I mean, this guy, look at this attractive young man who can sing and now listen to him fucking scream. And it's a very pretty song lyrically, too. So although I did for the longest time, I did not know it was like a bad star. I always thought it was like a storm or a bad storm. <laughs> I not thought a bad, bad storm star. for a long
0: time, too. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, until I recently tweeted the lyrics out, which you I think also liked and, and reposted, yes. <laughs> Sean.
1: I commented the other part of the lyrics to yeah. that.
0: <laughs> yeah, but my wife Jess and I were sitting watching YouTube, and sometimes you toss a video on from 2001, and it will give you more 2001 stuff, which is always kind of nice. And this this video popped up, and I was like, oh, I can't wait, can't wait for this to talk about this record because we were we've been planning on doing it for a while, but. Such a fucking great end to the record, and and last track, magic, all fucking day.
1: When you told me, like you texted me and said, "Hey, what are you doing Sunday?" and I was like, "Um, <laughs> nothing." He goes, "Do you want to talk Finch?" and I was like, "Oh, <gasps> this was like what Monday, Tuesday."
2: Clear your calendar, baby.
1: Yep. No joke. I have done nothing but listen to what it is to burn, from the moment he texted me and I said. I am now free on Sunday night to literally about half hour before we got on this call. That's all I've listened to. Nothing, no podcasts, no other albums. I love it. Just this.
0: Oh, well, go back and listen to Podius, slave. If you missed last week's episode, it was really good. Oh, well, I've got that. That was on <laughs> okay. Monday. Okay. So
2: okay. Tuesday, right. I, got, I was that. We're good. Two quick observations. Love a repeated feature daryl's on twice i was trying to think of other albums that where that happens i couldn't think of any off the top of my head he fits those he smokes those tracks they're perfect daryl he's in his bag other observation is they re-recorded what letters to you and perfection through silence i remember when this record came out i was like oh man they polished those songs too much they lost the essence of the of the ep in prep for this I listened back to the EP versions, and they sound like demos. The EP versions of those songs sound like demos. Like they, they, I think they captured the essence of the song great, and polished them for the better. Like yeah. the the instruments on the EP, again, a lot of it has to do with production budget and all that, and and whatnot. So it's it's not a a slight. It's just the I prefer the full length versions. They yeah. they kill it. They smoke it.
0: I I totally agree, and love the. Two features, Daryl features on the record, and having a, a record where you have that happen that doesn't happen a lot. You're right, it's typically one and done. And that those features got me into Glassjaw, like I didn't know nice. about yep. Glassjaw before that. And then Worship and Tribute came out later that year, and we did a whole deep dive on it in five or six episodes back. Go check it out. Uh, but it's why I ended up taking notice to, to Glassjaw. So thank you Finch for introducing me to new music. <laughs>
1: Let's say I was already into Glassjaw, and I think that was something that got me more excited when I saw this album. Like, actually had the real disc in my hands. Was going, "Oh, Daryl Palumbo's on here. Oh, he's on here twice." And then hearing "Gray Matter" and "Project Mayhem," those songs are so fucking in his wheelhouse.
2: They're perfect for him.
1: It's it's fucking great. It's so good to hear, and especially like like you said, I can't think of very many double features like. I'm trying to find something and I, I got nothing off the top of my head. And I think that was something that really helped sell Finch to the harder audience was, mm-hmm. Hey, we got this, you know, glass jaw, Daryl Palumbo. Y'all know him. But we got shot him track. Yep. Uh,
0: if you guys can think out there listening, can think of something, a record with uh, a feature and on two separate songs or more on an album, hit us up uh, at party of slave on all the all the social medias and then potty say podcasts at gmail.com. Cause we would like to check those out if we don't know about them. Well,
2: one other observation, the artwork, I love the artwork. It's definitely of the time you, you can tell it's definitely glass. inspired. I've always thought they, they took inspiration there. I'm I'm just guessing that they were influenced by glass with, with the um, imagery. And it's great imagery. Like I am, I'm I looking at it right now and it's iconic. I can't picture any other artwork for this album. It it doesn't fit it yet fits it perfectly. I don't even know how that makes sense. It's just amazing.
0: Completely agree. Oh, a lot of the records from that time have artwork that doesn't fit it, but fits it perfectly. And this is one of those. This is a Hall, a hall of Fame entry of that. <laughs> yeah, okay.
1: I, I, I've seen the 20th anniversary cover. I don't like it. I love the album. I don't like it. You know, it's just white with the Finch logo, and it just didn't.
2: I know what you're talking about. Yeah,
1: yeah, it didn't fit. Feel right when I saw, it, I was gonna buy it, and then I was like, I didn't you know. It it doesn't feel right. I want those ice cubes. Mm-hmm. I want that tray. I want to sit down, put the disc in front of my friggin' you know TV when I put it into my Xbox to play it, and there it is. Like the ice cube tray is right there.
2: And the baby in the fetal position.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. From the ice cube tray to the Xbox tray, I love it, John. That's that's great.
1: <laughs> I don't have a CD player anymore. You know, I I got Who one does? in my car. Really? Yeah, I used to have one, but then we we ended up getting a bearded dragon, and he kind of took over the spot that used to live. So, and uh, actually, I think honestly, I think the last disc that was played in it was Finch.
0: Good. That that makes sense. It was
1: either Finch or the, the transplants.
0: That's a good one, too. Yeah, yeah. that's a good one. And
2: maybe we'll deep dive them uh, in a few. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't go. know if that one's happening anytime soon, but <laughs> I love that, I mean, we have Sean on for it, and his CD player's last Will and Testament was playing Finch's What It Is to Burn, so you were the right guest for this, Sean.
1: Oh, yeah, well, I appreciate it. Well, I mean, again, that this album is literally my favorite album of all time. I've probably got easily over, I don't know, 5,000 plays of the album. I mean, probably just, you know, a few hundred this week alone, just nonstop with headphones while I'm at work, when I'm driving for work. I, it's in my headspace, headspace. I can't think of a better album, you know, in my opinion, than what it is to burn.
2: It's way up there. It's, it's aged. It could be better than it's ever been. Because now we have the lens of every other band that tried to do it and failed and, or didn't even come close no skips front to back i actually don't skip any i said i I, you know awake is probably my least favorite that doesn't mean i skip it doesn't mean it's not a great song brilliant song this is all time album and i hope that's the message that everyone gets when they listen to this we only have an hour really to talk about it we could talk about it for several hours i'm sure yeah we could we could go all night boys
0: (laughs) no no one would click on it if it said three hours though i don't think unfortunately (laughs)
2: it's an all-time album
0: i would agree all-time album. All-time album yeah. for me. A uh, record that I come back to more than than most uh, of the music that I grew up with and, and music that I listen to even to this day. It's it's in there. It's got to be a top 20 for me for sure.
1: I ride hard for Say Hello to Sunshine. I really do. I, I think they did a great job. And that was re- 2004, maybe it came out? oh five, June 5 I think it was recorded in Okay. So... Even still, two out, two years later to come out with another full-length, I genuinely think that one's... It's not got as many plays as this album does, but it's pretty close because, you know, blood, Bite Marks and Bloodstains, it's a banging track. The, uh, was it the casket of Rodney Harrington or something like that? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Roderick, oh, that's Roger pretty close. Rodney, yeah, near
1: the end.
2: Go. Well, Sean, the thing is, if you were a drive through kid, you this would be different. You know, this was... More chaotic, crazy time signatures. uh, Maybe had some breakdowns in there. Like this was, it was a departure. If you came
1: from the pop punk side of Finch, Mm. see. And I, I, at this time frame, I was not so much a pop punk kid. Like I I consider myself more of a punker because I like a lot more of that style. And I, I feel maybe more towards the hardcore and post hardcore stuff. Cause I listened to Thursday still senses fail uh, from autumn to ashes. I had on like two weeks ago. And, and I think that one was like, okay, they're getting a little more edgy. They're getting a little more teeth in their friggin' music. And then, you know, unfortunately whatever happened, they they split up and took a break and it was only for like what a year or two. They came back. I feel like they were came back just as strong and they, they went for five, six more years. And then that second break was like, they're not coming back. Like I, I, it felt almost like a hollowness in my heart for that because I was like, these guys are so good. And I don't know why they're not working together because they seem like they're having fun. And I'm sure there's internal stuff. Every band has that stuff. And I've seen interviews where, you know, certain members will say, well, this person's got, you know, a family now, or this person has a different project. And That's fine. I I think the uh, Oblivion album, the third album, I think that's actually a a way more mature version of Finch. And I feel like if there was other albums in between it, we wouldn't have gotten that third album because that third album, like vocally, Nate's fucking more money than he's been on the other two albums because I feel like he matured and was able to write lyrics more Easily like they came to him. Whereas some of the stuff in the first album, like it's like I feel like he may have tried to push it a little harder and it not necessarily got in there right the way he wanted it to come out, but you know.
2: Well, he's older too, right? I mean he's older, he's experienced more, and that would make sense. I've I've admittedly spent the least time with Back to Oblivion. I've maybe listened to it a handful of times, but if you're getting the if you're giving it the cosign, I will revisit it.
1: Yes, I will 100% co-sign that. It, I feel like if you sit back and, like, if you go one, two, three, you know, what it is, Sunshine, Oblivion, you'll feel the first album is, here's the fucking, the firecracker, bang. Here we are on the scene, making noise. The second album is, okay, we've got more teeth, we've got more bite, you know, there's more breakdowns, there's more heaviness, there's, Pappas' drums are a little more fucking crazy and, you know. But then go to that third album, Oblivion, and it it almost feels like they took the time away to say, okay, I need to mature musically, emotionally, mentally, you know, I need to deal with some shit. And then getting into that third album, I honestly feel like it's, if they continued going on that path, I think they could get three or four more albums. It's kind of like Thrice, you know, from Artist Ambulance. Such a great fucking album. His voice, he fried it, and you know the most recent Price albums are so good because I feel like he matured. He yep, became more absolutely. comfortable Definitely. in his being. And honestly, I think Back to Oblivion really shows all of the band members really finding a maturity. And I don't think it's all original. I think maybe the bass players knew, but they all have this maturity throughout that album. That's really fucking fun to listen to, if you've. You know, got the time.
0: <laughs> uh, no shit, Tuan. Uh, no shit, Sean. You're right. <laughs> the bass player is new. Uh, everybody else is. Papa's is back. He he came back in. It looks like 2013 and stayed. And then uh, the rest are are all back too, which is wild. Yep. So you nailed that,
1: dude. I told you this is my band. One of them. <laughs> you know, I, I I would love to get the Finch logo tattooed on me. I just don't know where. And honestly. This album, you know, What It Is to Burn, I think he's got some of the the more fun guitar tones. Like Randy and, and Grizz, their guitar tones are fun throughout the album. Like the stuff they do, the intro to the album, get into Project Mayhem. It's almost like uh, you guys talk about Stuck Pig, where it, it starts out a little chaotic and you don't know what the fuck's going to happen.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. then
1: there's this fucking vocal line and you're like, what the fuck is going on? And it just works. And I think the guitars sound great. The bass is, you know, solid. Uh, Papa's drums are just dirty. I love listening to him play drums.
0: Mm-hmm. So there's some pop in that for in this record, and what it is to burn and, and Papa's drums that yeah is is kind of Finch. It fits them, and uh, I love it. But yeah, damn.
2: Here, here's something to leave you guys with. This is my final thoughts. Outside of the fact that I love this record, all time album. I will ride for this till the day I die. Listen to three simple words when Nate opens up with open up my eyes flooded with daylight. Sounds like Billy Joe from green day. Next time you listen to it, you will not un- not be able to unhear
0: it
1: guaranteed.
0: Oh, I think you're right. God, I'm playing in my head right now and I think you're right. Holy shit. Yeah.
1: I was just doing the same thing. And I, I Yeah. Shit.
0: Yeah. You just ruined that record for me. Well, this one
1: just <laughs> went to the shitter, boys. Let's call it a night.
2: <laughs> my mic drop is "Ride or Die." What it is to burn?
0: Yeah, same. I agree completely. Same. One of the best records uh, that has come across my life uh, is "Is What It Is to Burn," and, and I will continue to spin it that way.
1: I, I completely agree. Wow. I, I if Nate, Randy, Alex, Papas, any of them hear this, you guys definitely help changed my mind about music and you know if i get the chance to ever share the stage with you guys i'm gonna fucking try my damnedest to outdo you and i know i never will but i'm 40 year old fucking old bitch now i will give it a shot and i hope that they come back with some more stuff i've seen rumors but uh yeah i i hope they decide that they've got some more left in the tank and they bring us some more friggin' chaos because I'll fucking burn any day with these these boys, especially that album.
0: Hell yeah, dude. Perfect. Mic drop. We are done. We appreciate you listening to Patio Slave. All that shit's coming here in the back end. Sean, thanks for coming back, man. We appreciate it. Perfect guy for the job. And you did class it up tonight. Yeah, that's right.
2: I'm beyond my wine. You
1: fucking classed it, baby. I'm yeah, going... you, the Jaguars jerseys in it for you? Hey, baby. They won in <laughs> London today, baby. They beat the know, bills. Jaguar, hey, I'm fine you know, with that. My custom-made patio slave jersey, you know.
0: <laughs> there you go. So
1: I had this pinned to my jersey, you know.
0: Yeah, for, for those of you that are, this is, I know this is a, not a visual medium. We do have the video, and there might be a piece of this, but Sean is wearing a uh, Jaguars, a Jacksonville Jaguars jersey, but with a patio slave cutout. Right over the front there so that he has his own patio slave jersey, which we yeah, we might maybe we'll make those someday. Limited eBay one of one. <laughs> yeah, one yeah, of well one. it's
1: gonna be number thirty two Maurice Jones Drew Patio Slave Podcaster. So there you go.
0: <laughs> <MGD>. so, <laughs> true. Yeah. MGD, about MGD. yeah, yeah. We could go off on the Jags right now. I mean, Fred Taylor,
1: all time, right? <laughs> great. It's great. I still think Brunel got the shaft, but
2: yeah. that's you know, who else are we going to talk about peyton hillis and um jamal charles now or what we could That's those good.
0: are those are different teams though oh i know that
2: i'm, I'm talking fantasy studs of fantasy studs. yay yeah. my friend yes yes uh, priest, I, Ho- priest
0: holmes I, I, <laughs>
1: priest
2: holmes. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right on that note
1: peace podheads. see you next week we're out in 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 it in, in,
0: in. Thank you for listening to Patio Slave. We are at Patio Slave on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all of the places that you can find us on social media. Facebook, Patio Slave Podcast. YouTube, Patio Slave Podcast there. Email us at patioslavepodcast at gmail.com. And, hey, if you want to become a supporter, click on the link at the bottom of the episode and give us a dollar, give us five bucks. It keeps the lights on, keeps us going. We really appreciate that stuff. Thank you. Uh, all right, we ready? Yeah. Yes, but let's it- go. <laughs>
1: Same after the F. Yeah, that that'll work.